While you're doing that, would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 12? I want to show you uh, in your Bible that most of us have either on our phone or, you know, in uh, the five or six Bibles we have in an Iran, right? They've only got, barely got one. So don't take for granted that you have a, a Bible with you this morning if you do. Jesus, um, if you remember last week, this was like an impeachment trial against Jesus. It's like Mark Zuckerberg getting hauled in front of Congress, right? The, the political, the politicians asking the questions, they're not really wanting to know the answer. They're wanting to grandstand on the point that they want to make. This is not so much about getting information as it is a sticking it to the person they're grilling. So last week, the political party was the Pharisees, and they're sticking it to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't fall for it. And now the Sadducees come along. They're a, a different sect of a political party inside of Jerusalem, and they've come to grill Jesus as well. It's, it's almost like a room like this, and you know, you got like, you know, maybe Benny shouting a question from the back row over here, and then Hartman back there stands up with his beard and shouts out a question to me. It's that kind of a, uh, a vibe that's going on. That's Mark chapter 12 here. And so at this point, the Sadducees stand up and they say, there is no resurrection, but they came to him, this is verse uh, 18, came to him with this question, teacher, they said, Moses wrote to us, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? It's Deuteronomy 5, and it's weird because we're in a Western culture. And in a Western culture, we have programs that can help somebody. And, and by the way, even in a Western culture, if you have been in a situation where you have lost a spouse or you've, been, you've rescued out of a situation and you're a, a single mom, even with the programs that we have, it's brutal out there for a single mom. It's just brutal. Imagine without any of those programs. Imagine without anything to fall back on. You have no way to go to work, no way to... And, this is, and so in their culture, he was saying... I'm going to make sure that these women are taken care of. And that's sort of what this law was put in place for, so that um, if, you know, if I die, then I guess, Shannon, you'd be marrying uh, my brother Donald. So, <laughs> hi, Don. Um, Don watches online sometimes from Nebraska. Um, it, again, completely punches us in the face of our Western sensibilities. But when you realize what this was written in the time that it was written for the reason it was written, it wasn't some weirdo patriarchal thing. This was literally what they had done to help save women from being cast away and not being cared for. Do you remember Ruth, the story of Ruth and Boaz? Like that was what happened to her. Her husband had died, but there was no brother. So she went to a, a near kinsman. It was like a cousin. Could this work possibly? And so that's how that happened. So that said... They're coming to Jesus without any concern about this. This is a gotcha question. This is a politician gotcha question. Verse 20. Now there were seven brothers. This is a good one, right? It's like the seven brothers and one woman. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, None of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. So Jesus, after the resurrection, whose wife will she be since she was married to all seven of them? Who is it, Jesus? Gotcha. And his response, you replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they shall neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. 
we are not going to be angels. Understand, he did not say, we'll be angels, you'll be like. It's a, a, an analogy of what we could be like. That's why when you hear somebody say, well, God needed another angel and called him home. That's complete, uh, not true. Uh, we'll be, this is the closest metaphor, but we'll be like that. It's not gonna be like this life, it's gonna be something new for us. So, when the dead rise, they neither marry, they'll be like the angels in heaven. Verse 25, now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, living, <laughs> living, southern, living, you are badly mistaken. That's God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word today will be a light and a lamp for us. That it would be real to us today. Lord, that we would not be like the Sadducees that would uh, just see the word, and, uh, but we would know the word. That's what we pray for today. And your power as well, Lord. We pray for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The Sadducees knew the word, but they didn't know the word. Does that make sense? Like they saw the word, but they didn't know the word. They, how many of you took uh, like a foreign language in high school? Okay, hands down. How many of you can speak that language because of the class you took in high school? A <laughs> couple of overachievers, but for the rest of us, <laughs> you memorized words, but you didn't know the language. That's what he's saying. You don't know this. It reminded me of a story that, uh, Audrey, are you in this? She gone. Uh, this is actually better <laughs> so I can tell the story. Um, <laughs> she used to work in a hospital situation. Um, and you know how in the, in the hospital, uh, when you come out with the clipboard and you say, okay, uh, Ethan, Tyler, you're, you're next. And you all wait and it always takes forever. Right, and so she comes out with the clipboard, and she looks down the, the, this nurse and looks down at the waiting room and looks down again, and looks up and says, um, "Shady, nasty." <laughs> and, and a woman, a fairly large woman, stands up, uh, snaps her Motorola shut, puts it back in her bra, and says. You did not just call my baby shady nasty. <laughs> it's Shadynasty. <laughs> and then she spells it for this is a true story. Spells it for her. It's S H A comma at the top. Dynasty. D Y N A that's the comma at the top. Dynasty. Shadynasty. Now If you don't have the comma at the top, your Shia dynasty is a shady nasty. <laughs> and all you young people naming your kids with all those strange spellings, this is your future, I'm just saying. You, you do this to your children someday, but I'm not naming any names. Um, nor am I spelling them because I can't spell half the names. You young parents naming your kids, I can't spell like half the names. Um, true story, Shannon will have to write the names for me uh, half the time so I can make sure and pronounce them right because the spelling, I need it by phonics. So anyway, if you miss it, you can look at it, you see the same word everybody else sees, but if you miss 
the apostrophe, the comma at the top, I would like to suggest that that's what was going on with the Sadducees. They were looking at the word. They saw the same word everybody else saw, but they missed the nuance and turned the Shah dynasty into a shady nasty. <laughs> Jesus is telling them, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, you're missing the point. You don't know. He, he actually tells them two errors that they're making, but I want to suggest they're making a third error as well. Two of them are explicit. He says, you don't know the word, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Those are explicit errors. There's a third error that's implicit, and I'm not going to tell you that one till the end. Cliffhanger. You don't know the scriptures. You can memorize the Bible. And by the way, I think it's good. Bible Bowl, those things. I mean, some of you kids, if I got Bible Bowl kids in here, right? I mean, yeah, the Rojas kids, they're like dominated like the entire nation in Bible Bowl. Oh, yeah. You can memorize it all, and that's a good thing. But if you don't know it, then you've just memorized information. In, uh, in Haiti... We, uh, I, I pretty much suck at Creole. Like pretty, I mean, here's the thing. You young kids especially, too, when you want to learn a language when you're young, do it when you're young. Your brain is still mossy, okay? Things can take seed in there. But when it gets old and hard and you have to like, it's like the hard clay of Tennessee soil trying to get a word to take root in the brain, learn it when you're young. So instead of me trying to keep learning Creole terribly, we just started sending kids to English school in Haiti. I mean, it's like a hundred bucks, right, for each kid. And six months later, they come out speaking English, not memorizing answers on a test, knowing English. So when you go with us now to Haiti, like half the population there speaks English because we've invested in them knowing. And by the way, that helps them get ahead in their own lives and in their careers. But there's a difference between memorizing something and knowing something. And Jesus is telling the Sadducees here, you don't know the word of God. The, the Sadducees were probably way more analogous to us in Western culture than even the Pharisees were. Because the Sadducees were very pragmatic, politically speaking. Like inside of what was called the Sanhedrin, which I guess would be like the Jerusalem equivalent of a homeowner's association. Like they don't have any power outside of here, but inside of here they are like the king of the castle. You put a gnome on your front porch and you're getting a letter. You're called in front of the Sanhedrin to... <laughs> we lived out in the country for a while. It was, that's different, having to come into town. Like People care about what you do in your yard. And, 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 I, and I get that. I mean, I, actually, I get some of the, why they do that. But the point is, inside of the Homeowners Association, anyway, the Sanhedrin, there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees. Okay, two different parties, both of them agreed on one thing, which is you want to keep Jerusalem the way we want it, but inside of that, just like in our political system, we had two parties, one wanted one thing and the other wanted another thing. And the Sadducees, what they wanted was their political power to not be interrupted. They were elite, they were wealthy, they had a lot of power, but there weren't a lot of them, but they controlled a lot of the power inside of Jerusalem because of their relationship with Rome. Very pragmatic. 
And they were willing to tamper down the power of God and the scriptures in order that they could maintain the power of government on this side of heaven. Does that sound familiar at all? And I would suggest to you that as much as it's important that we know what the Pharisees and what they did, we're way more analogous to the Sadducees in Western culture, and we ought to pay real close attention to what Jesus was saying to them because we have the danger of falling into the same pit that they had fallen into. You don't know the scriptures. And in our modern context, I mean, that's pretty common, right? People would say they know the Bible. Uh, like there are those right now and you can find it on almost any blog anywhere that in talking about uh, polygamy, they would say the Bible endorses polygamy. So how can you say that the Bible can be trusted on anything else? Has anybody heard that argument before? That that's somebody who doesn't know the scriptures. If you can go through the Old Testament and read any story of polygamy and walk out the other side of that story saying that the Bible endorses that, that's a stretch. The Bible's describing it. And what happened in every situation? It was an unmitigated disaster in their life. God was allowing it. It was their choice. But God said at the very beginning, for this reason, will a man leave his uh, parents and become a wife, but one woman? There's a reason why God had defined it that way. And then the Old Testament is full of ideas of why uh, that doesn't work. I mean, literally, just go to the story of Jacob, right? It was a disaster in his life. It was exhausting and miserable. And Jesus was so full of grace and so full of mercy that he showed up even in the middle of his bad decisions. So the grace and the mercy of God shows up even in that. And then there are those that would say, well, if you eat shellfish, then why are you doing these other things? Because we eat shellfish and they would go to Leviticus and talk about shellfish. Again, Old Testament, old culture, so it's got to be old, can't be whatever. Have you ever eaten shellfish that has not been refrigerated? See, I have not. But it'll wrestle your colon to the ground. You got... Three million people wander around the country without a refrigerator. Don't go ahead and just back away from the shellfish. You're going to regret that immensely. <laughs> there was an article just this week of a, uh, a guy who had eaten undercooked pork. Now, keeping in mind, before this article, I actually didn't think it was that big of a deal. Now I think it's a huge deal because the x-ray they showed on this dude, anybody see this? His chest was full of tapeworms from undercooked pork. I literally didn't even know that was an option. So when the Bible's telling, hey, by the way, pork, you're not going to do that until we get refrigeration. You're going to want to stay away from that as well until we understand curing and say, point being that there are things in the Bible that if you don't know it, it could sound silly, but you don't know it. It can lead you very astray by just not knowing the scriptures. Now, I would say in conduit world that we have placed an enormous emphasis on knowing the scriptures. But if that is the only emphasis that we do, then we can become, I've used this phrase, theological porcupines, right? You make a lot of really great points and nobody can touch you. You're untouchable. Because he also says you didn't understand the power of God. 
And on the other hand, you could have those who understand the power of God, and that's 100% what they're after, the power of God. We're going to see the miracles. We're going to see the supernatural, and we'll race into that. And if you could be a theological porcupine on one hand, on the other hand, you could be a streetlight, right? And what happens to a streetlight in the middle of the night? A lot of bugs floating around that. A lot of pests flying around the streetlight. That's the other ditch, to say that that's it. Now, what I would say is that what he's telling the Pharisees, what he's telling the Sadducees, is that the word of God and the power of God are not mutually exclusive ideas. They're intertwined, inseparable together. Because in our world, again, I would say that this is, and this is some, it's just my spiritual gift. This is what I, I know, and this is what I do. This is what the land that God has called me to be into. But it doesn't mean that the power of God is still not active today in our world. See, the Sadducees were okay without the power of God being in there because it messed up their political thing. Resurrection from the dead specifically meant that people might try to overthrow the government and the government was their milk machine. So they didn't want that happening. And on the other hand, they didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in angels. Acts 23 verse four, it says they didn't believe in any of the supernatural. And so if you don't believe in any of that, and this is all there is, then you tend to just do things academically. This just becomes an academic exercise that God never interferes. God never moves in our life. And that is not what Jesus was suggesting nor saying that the power of God is still alive, still active, that when the last days began in Acts chapter one, they're still going. There is a point where that will close and we'll all stand before the father, but that day is not it. It's not here. And I don't know about you. If you didn't grow up in this environment, this might uh, not make any sense to you. But you know what I miss? I miss coming to a church with an absolute expectation that God might do something awesome today. And even if we don't get it right all the time, you know, there's a, Bummer, you don't want a lot of flaky stuff. I get all that. And trust me, I won't let that happen, right? So if, will you, bring, you know how it is. Did anybody grow up in this world where you, you bring your visitor to church and that was the day that Stella had a tongues and interpretation? I'm like, oh, gee, not today, Stella. Not today. And, and, and it's funny now. Now, at that point, it was not funny at all. It was terrifying and embarrassing. But just because maybe Stella hadn't gotten quite yet to 1 Corinthians about decency and in order doesn't mean that God doesn't still move today. And he can still mess even if I, don't, even if I still mess it up. Well, I remember vividly when I was in fifth grade, and I've told this before, but it's worth retelling, that I had kicked my brother in the, in the knee. Now, I wasn't aiming for the knee, because we're brothers. Um, and he had raised his knee to keep me from hitting my intended target. In my bare feet, and I kicked this, I mean, square in the knee, and my toe broke, like not like a twig snap, like a stick snapping. And it hurt a lot. And, I, and it was straight up broken. My grandfather uh, had medical background and he x-rayed it and so he tapes it together and I'm on crutches. And if you've never tried to walk with a broken toe, it's hard. So I'm 
I'm limping on my crutches and I go to the, uh, the, the church and then uh, this lady named Elizabeth Pruitt who had come, I still remember her name. And what I remember most is she wore like a, a skirt that came to here, but her knees, she was double jointed in the knees. So like they would go backwards. So she kind of looked like a raptor. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was fifth grade, that's all I remember. But she says, come down to the front if you need a miracle. I'm in fifth grade. I'm on crutches. My toe is broke in half, and I go down front. And, uh, and, th- and those were the days where they had, they would lay hands on you, and you were supposed to fall. Do you remember falling? We called it being slain in the spirit, but anyway. Um, nobody was actually dead. So she prays for me, and then I, f- I fake fell. Um, it's because you're supposed to fall, and I knew that, and so I fell. And I hit the floor and my toe was healed and I swear that that happened. I don't know how to explain it. The bruise was gone, I could bend it and I walked out of there. Fifth grade, I don't, it was crazy, that happened. And then it was a few years later in Guatemala, the story I've also told before, I'm 16 years old and Ron Luce, if anybody knows who Ron is, it was his first mission trip ever. There was like 25 or 30 teenagers and a handful of college kids. College kids, which at 16 felt a lot older, but now that I'm a parent of a college kid, I'm like, that's a big responsibility to throw on a 19-year-old to keep the 16-year-old alive in Guatemala. And so... We had very little whatever, and we were, it was late, and we were out late uh, at a dinner someplace. We'd taken a bus. We were in a really bad part of Guatemala City uh, with just a handful of teenagers and a couple of ORU students, and we realized we're lost. This is long before cell phones. This is long before, uh, and this is bad news, right? I mean, you know this, right? So we're bad news. We don't know how to get home. And so we are aware that there are gangs around. We are aware that this is the part of town they told us not to go to. We are aware that we don't know which bus to take. And so we just, we got into a circle and we held hands. And so we, um, we prayed and we thought we'll take the last bus, whatever it is, the last bus we're taking it. It'll take us somewhere besides here, hopefully better even if it's to the bus station. So we get on the bus, the next bus that came, and in the front row of the bus, he was on the passenger side, I still remember it, was a guy sitting there with a uniform of the hotel that we were staying at, sitting in the front row. And so he knew just enough English and just enough of how to read people's facial expressions to know these kids are in trouble. (laughs) And so he says, follow me, I'll get you there. And we did have to go by the bus station. We had to switch buses and we got the last bus to that and we got the last bus out from the station for the last round of the night back to the hotel. Not a very big hotel, by the way, just a little kind of little garden area hotel. And we got home that night and the next day we went to thank this guy for getting us out. And we asked for him. There was nobody at the hotel by that name. Nobody worked there by that name. We never saw him again. I don't know who he was. I know who I think he was. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels nor demons, and both are out there. They didn't believe in the scriptures, and they didn't believe in the power of God. And I, with all my heart, believe that God is still moving. When we go to Uganda, when we go to Haiti, when we go to Nepal, God is moving. God is doing miracles. God is still in the speaking business today. And he does that there, and he'll do it here. 
And I just wonder if maybe as we head into 2020 that maybe God's speaking to us a little bit here about that, about what that would look like if we woke up every day with the expectation that God might be up to something in your life today. I told you they made two mistakes. They didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. Jesus called them out on both of those. There was a third mistake. And the third mistake was this. They were talking about the resurrection to the resurrection. Jesus, I, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He said that to Mary and Martha, whose brother had died. And when his brother, their brother had died, they came and he had been dead for a while and they were kind of a little ticked at Jesus because he didn't show up exactly when they wanted him there. And they're like, Jesus, he's dead, it's over. And Jesus says to Mary, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. And if you believe that, then even when you're dead, you're still alive. And it's interesting, just a few verses later, when Jesus goes to the tomb, they say, roll it away. And like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, don't. It's been four days, that's gonna smell pretty bad. But he says, no, no, roll it away. If you believe this, the resurrection of life. But it says right there in John 11 that Jesus wept. And of course, he's probably weeping because they've lost their family, but he's about to raise them from the dead. Why, you know, why waste the time weeping? And I understand that there's some of that he probably felt the sorrow, was feeling the pain with him, but maybe, just maybe, he was also weeping because he was about to ask Lazarus to come back from the place that Jesus knew he would love with all of his heart. Jesus alone understood what Lazarus would have left behind to come back to earth. How sad is it that Lazarus would leave that eternity to come back to here again, right? You don't understand the power of God, he told them, and the power of God is that one day you will resurrect, that there'll be miracles, there'll be things that'll happen even this side of heaven. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. We don't know why. We don't know why sometimes Darren's big toe gets healed and the person that had cancer didn't. I don't know. I know this, though, that this is not the final destination for us. And that whatever is on the other side, it's not just a a, a continuation of a better version of this. It's completely new. Paul says that when you resurrect, it's like I put a seed in the ground and that whatever comes out, it's an apple. There's still a seed in there, but it's completely different. It's completely new and completely better. That that's the power of God. And that same power that will one day resurrect you from the dead exists in you right now. And you can walk out into this life unafraid because there is more with you than against you. There was a moment in Haiti, it's just been a few years ago. I don't know if anybody was in there in the tap tap the night when the, we, the tap tap is the pickup, we're all riding in the back and we were surrounded by a Haitian mob of some kind. It was uh, when they do scary Easter. Somehow they've made Easter scary. I don't know how they did that. Schools. And so they have surrounded the tap tap and they start shaking it. And there's like, you know, I've got a rock band in there. We were shooting a music video and I just, this is really funny, but I told them there's nothing to be afraid of down here. They always leave us alone. They're always really nice because the rock band, because they're musicians, they were kind of scared. Um, and they, they, they weren't the kids that were boxing in high school. You know what I'm saying? They, so, the, um, <laughs> know your audience, Darren, sorry. 
Like Sarah, you'd have kicked their butts, right? But anyway, um, but they're starting to shake this thing and I'm like, oh, 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 this is not good. And I remember that night uh, thinking, okay, I guess I get to handle this one. And I get to the, uh, who I think is the scariest one who might be the leader with his little skull. And I start speaking to him right into his eyes and I'm like, I, I, I'm not speaking to a man right now, I'm speaking to a demon. And so I say, look, I know that you don't understand me, but the demonic force inside of me, you understand me crystal clear what I'm saying. And I spoke right into his eyes, told him he had no authority and he was to leave right now. And they went like this. And they walked away. Because the power of God is stronger than any demon, stronger than any force around you, stronger than any... You don't have to... Jesus is not the opposite of Satan. This isn't Batman versus Superman. Actually, maybe it is, because Super Batman doesn't have any powers. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Can you tell I spent eight hours in a car yesterday? Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not an equal battle. And that same power, Romans 8, says, that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You don't have to be afraid of any of this stuff. You just don't. What shall separate you from the love of Christ? Love shall famine, persecution shall a house fire. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Don't make that error. The power of God and the scriptures, they're intertwined. When Jesus quoted scripture, he was quoting scripture. If you say, I follow Jesus, but I really don't know about the Bible, then you are not following Jesus because the Jesus in this Bible quoted the Bible over and over and over again. That is an intellectually dishonest position. But don't just make it an academic exercise. Understand the power of it and that same power that will raise Christ from the dead, will, that raised Christ from the dead, will raise you from the dead, and in the meantime, it will quicken your mortal bodies. That is King James for it will empower you to do what I've called you to do this side of heaven. Stand to your feet and let's go home. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for your promise. And as we head into 2020, we believe that, God, that you are still on the move. You are still moving inside of us. This is not a college course. This is the Holy Spirit encounter with us. We want to learn to walk with you, to hear from you, to do what you have called us to do. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen and amen.